Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. with that mic in your hand. It's time for school. Rock school. With your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. And he hears the dude say, I hate the effing eagles, man. (laughs) So Klein stands up and says, I hate the effing eagles too. That's it. You can have the song. (gasps) Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show here on the Rock School Radio Network. My name is Joe Burns. You are? Tammy Burns. Hey, before we get started with today's topic, let me throw this out. Last year, about this time, I made the statement on air that I did not have any books to read and thus do interviews during our July shows. And I, I just made it as an offhanded comment. Right. And the next thing I knew, I had a whole bunch of people that were sending me links to their books. So let me do it in a more formal way right now. More than likely, I'm going to be contacted by book publishers. I am every year. But hey, if you as a self-published author are interested in having an interview done with the Rock School Radio Show, do me a favor and shoot me an email, and that email would be, actually go to the website, this is the quickest way to do it, go to selu.edu slash rockschool, all one word. Once again, selu, Southeastern Louisiana University, selu.edu slash rockschool, and there you'll find a contact us button, and you can shoot me an email. Uh, of, Of course, Absolutely no guarantees. I would need a copy of the book, and, and digital is fine, but it may be something we can talk about this uh, this coming July. Yes? Amen. Send yes. some books, folks. I need to read. I need <laughs> she, a good read. She reads just about everything that comes in the same Send way. Send a hard copy. The same way I do. Yeah, a hard copy would make us happy. And sign it, just in case you become rich so we can sell it on eBay. All right, what are we talking about today? This is one of those topics that I thought was, oh, this is going to be small. This is going to be cute. And here, once I got into it, it exploded Uh into just a ton of little stories. And every one of these stories could itself become a show, but it's so much better just to sort of put them together into a grouping and then keep going. So I was doing, as I normally do, seven days and 70 seconds, and I'm, I'm looking for something to talk about. And on the Tuesday of this week, in 2016, Alanis Morissette sued her former business manager, his name Jonathan Schwartz, for $15 million, claiming he stole $4.7 million from Ow! her. How'd you get $15 million out of 4.7? Ah. I don't know. Schwartz claimed he did indeed take a large amount. Listen to this. I he did. says he took a large amount so he could hold it. 
yes. for her. What you going to do about it? So she needn't have to go to the bank every time. Uh, what? Okay, yes, I know. That sounds stupid on its face. Honey, you got any cash? When it was... No, I'm keeping it for you. Oh, thank you. you. So to, I don't have to go to the bank? No, it's it's here in my white suit pocket. you you got to remember that. So what happened was she had a survey done and it was discovered that he... Over 116 transactions, all to accounts that had his name on it. Mm. He was holding money for her. The following year, Schwartz admits to the theft, also to stealing another $2 million from other clients. Morissette is compensated in a settlement, but it was outside of court. We don't know what it is. To which you say, how are you turning this into a show? Look, if you're semi-popular in the music industry yeah. and you haven't been messed over by a manager, right? you ain't been around, son. So what I've got is just story after story after story of managers doing bad things to clients. Goodness. And it's I got six pages for today. What? I got six pages for next week. What? So this is going to be a twofer, and we'll go with that. Alanis Morissette starts it. We'll come back and tell you a whole lot of other stories that make you just go, geez, do I really want to be a musician? This is ridiculous. Hey, go. It's Alanis Morissette on Rock School. I want you to know I'm happy for you I wish nothing but the best for you both I feel like it to me There's Alanis Morissette, who got back millions, I don't know, was settled out of court. But let's talk about some other times that the manager of the musician really messed them over. Now, while not technically theft, Colonel Tom Parker, his name is Andreas Cornelius Dreis Van Kuzik. There's no way I said that true. He signed a contract with Elvis, and Elvis went with it right to the very end. Yeah, he did. He took 50% of Elvis's earnings. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a belief system that Elvis never performed outside of the United States. That's not true. He did some gigs in Canada, but never made his way over to Europe. Is that amazing or what? No, it's not. What? Once, Once you realize... What the lies were with this guy, he claimed to be from West Virginia, but mm-hmm. was really from the Netherlands. Here's the reason Elvis never went to Europe to perform. Right. While he was under Colonel Tom Parker. Colonel Tom Parker was up on murder charges. And it, feel free to go look that murder. up. Murder. The moment those plane wheels would have touched down in the mm. United States, and you can't do it quietly, it's Elvis, yeah. he would have probably been arrested. Is he a real colonel? No. Louisiana Governor Jimmy Davis, yeah. in a 1948 ad for political services rendered, gave him... The title of Colonel. Yeah, we do. That's Thank a Louisiana you. thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Michael Michael Knowles. Here's another one. Michael uh-huh. Knowles. He is the dad of Beyonce. She yeah. fired him. 
she fired him. Fire your dad. Uh, Live Nation Entertainment made false claims, so he says, that he had taken millions of dollars from the money taken in by Live Nation Entertainment. Now, I have looked and looked. There are still, to this day, lawsuits flying. But in March of 2011, she fired her dad because he was stealing from her. Woo! Are you kidding me? Do they still have Christmas dinner together? I don't know, but Thanksgiving, I would think, would be really tense. Yeah. And by the way, knowing my father, he'd steal from me. <gasps> oh, come on. You know him, too. Am yeah, I right? He would. He would. Uh, Billy Joel. This is the one we're going to play. Billy Joel had a guy named Frank Weber mm. who was dealing with all of his money. You ever heard that old thing? Look, do not work with family. Wasn't he huh? like a brother-in-law or something? It, close. Weber and Joel had personal ties. Weber is the brother of Elizabeth Joel, Billy's ex-wife. ex-wife. Weber is also the godfather of Joel's daughter family okay yeah that's family at the time it was the largest judgment a pop star had ever sought for a former manager Mm. he wanted 30 million dollars in compensatory damages and 60 million in punitive damage also reseeking the repayment of 15 million to 20 million in commissions that weber is said to have received from 1980 until august 30th when he was fired by Joel. If you do the mathematicals on that, he's talking somewhere in the $120-125 million suit. Wow. So what's happening? In January of 1990, he, Billy Joel, was awarded $2 million in a partial judgment against Weber. In April, the court dismissed the $30 million countersuit filed by Weber. As far as I could find, it's over. But then again... Stranger things have happened. Two million. At sea. He $2 got million. two million. That's nothing. I it probably, but you got to know that a lot of stuff is going on behind the scenes because a lot of people believe it is better to not cop a plea, so you cannot ever say they're guilty because they weren't found guilty by a court of law. Okay. And then just kick the money back. Yes. Oh, yeah. Billy okay. Joel here on Rock School. All right, coming out of Billy Joel, let's talk about a few more of these managers who really messed over their client. Rob Grenton. He managed New Order when their single Love Will Tear Us Apart was literally the best-selling single in the UK. They are making more money selling more records than any group in the UK. However, he lost money for the band. What? Ian Curtis, who was the the person who wrote the song Mm -hmm. and was also the lead singer of New Order, kills himself because of it. Oh, my gosh. So here, where did the money go? You were just asking that off air. Yeah. You get $100 million. Where does it go? After you buy the big house in the Hamptons, right? Uh, The car, the boat, the the plane. Okay, what now? It just piles up in the bank. 
It says here, Grenton, quote, encouraged New Order to invest or, better put, subsidize the cost of Manchester's legendary Hacienda Club. Now, any of you who have ever thought about starting a business and thought, I think I'll start a bar, a, a, a dance club a restaurant. You're right. These things usually statistically die within a year. Mm -hmm. This Hacienda Club almost immediately became a drug and crime nest. And in order to, you know, not die, all the money was simply given away. And New Order basically had to, you know, go on and do something different when Ian Curtis killed himself. And that's where all the money went. My. And this this guy, Ian Curtis, was married and had uh, a baby on the way who his wife does give birth to afterwards. She creates this little uh, area for you to go to, this little monument. And it right. says, love will tear us apart on the monument there. Mm. Aerosmith. They had a management deal with David Krebs and Steve Leber mm-hmm. in 1972. In fact, he's the guy that got them signed to Columbia. Right. However, Aerosmith's former manager filed a libel suit against the band for allegations they made in the Behind the Music special. Uh-oh. Krebs, who managed the band from 1972 to 1984, filed suit alleging the comments the band made that he destroyed them would hurt him in business and blah, 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 blah. blah. The New York Daily News reports that the source of the problem might be linked to some of the deals that Kreb and his partner Steve crafted in the early 70s. And when they set up the deals, they created it so they had a large stake in the band's publishing rights. They claimed that those were the type of deals that people did in that area. It was the 70s, dude. Hey, man. It was the 70s. <laughs> so where did all the money go? You ask that question? Yeah. Up their nose. Oh, really? Yeah, see, there comes a point in that time. That is even more sad. They say that you, you spend up to what you have. Uh, if you're a drug addict, you spend up to what you have. A house in the Hamptons? I understand. Put up it up your, your nose. nose. I don't get that. Let's talk about the one we're going to play, Albert Grossman, Bob Dylan. He took 10% of everything, which was about half more than usually these managers got. Why? Because, quote, you're 10% smarter and better than before. That's what Grossman said. He also said that uh, he, Dylan said, that Grossman took 50% of his publishing rights and that was it. He fires them. But at the same time, he had the clients, Todd Rundgren, Peter, Paul, and Mary, John Lee Hooker, Gordon Lightfoot, Richie Havens, the band, and Janis Joplin. Look, he did wonderful things for them. However, they weren't Bob Dylan, and he was charging them 25%, which is just ridiculously up. So when Bob Dylan finally said the heck with it and started to legally get rid of it, uh, he sued this guy, Albert Grossman. The Grossman sued back and Dylan started writing songs about him. The one that most people point to to say this is where Dylan is making fun of Grossman is the song Dear Landlord. So I'm going to play Dear Landlord for you as yet another show that... This is how managers messed over people here on Rock School. Dear landlord, please don't put 
Moody Price on my soul I know this was meant to be true And if you don't underestimate me I won't underestimate you Alright, coming into the first break as we talk about managers that really messed over their clients Alan Klein if you know, if you're a Stones fan or you're a Beatles fan, Alan Klein. Shouldn't this be like an entire show? It, easily, easily. But I'm going to tell you a couple stories because I have so many more stories. Uh, just to tell you what kind of person Alan Klein is. You know the movie The Big Lebowski? Yeah. They were trying to secure the rights to Town Van Zandt's cover of Dead Flowers, which obviously is Rolling Stones' tune over the uh, closing credits. Uh, okay. It was going to be $150,000 for them to use the song. The music director of the movie, T-Bone Burnett, convinced Klein to watch an early cut of the film. And he hears the dude say, I hate the effing eagles, man. <laughs> so Klein stands up and says, I hate the effing eagles too. Right? That's it. You can have the song. <gasps> Just because they, they messed over the Eagles. So, hey, look, Alan Klein, Stones, and also the Beatles. If you're talking about the Beatles in terms of Alan Klein, you are going to specifically talk about George Harrison. But let's start with the Rolling Stones. Goodness. He was with them during the years 65 to 70. And as a manager, he wrote it into the contracts that he, not the band, he would retain ownership of the band's entire recorded music catalog through those years. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. In return, he paid the Stones millions and millions in royalties. But then again, they're the Stones. There comes a point in time when you make so much mu music that when somebody is messing you over, yeah. you still... Are making make, money. Right, exactly that. Whew. He also obligated them to release albums of new material. On that release, he ties up the songwriting royalties, and instead of giving them to the band, he takes them. Mm. So said Jagger. The Stones dispatched him to negotiate their DECA records contract. He did. And through that redo, pockets $1.78 million that should have gone to the Stones. Oh, it gets better. Klein sheltered the Stones' money in a publishing company in the United States, which gave him and only him total control over ownership. And then the Beatles get involved. What? Yeah. We're no, going to come, come on. back. We're going to talk Beatles. Who's listening to us on the Rock School Show? KSKQ, Ashland, Oregon. Back with more stories that make you go... I don't know. Um, that I, I don't want to be a musician. This is ridiculous. Can I just play on the weekends and they pay me beer and a hundred bucks? No. That's what I want. Back in a minute here on Rock School.
All right, coming out of the break, Alan Klein, you asked me, how is it that he did all of this to the Rolling Stones, but then had some success in also dealing with the Beatles? I wish I had a good answer for you. My guess is because at the time he was the best of the best. Even though he was doing this to the bands, there was still an insane amount of money going in the Stones' mm. pocket. But that's that's only my guess. Okay. Maybe at the time it hadn't all been brought to the light. What's the... What's the Johnny Cash song? What's done in the dark will be brought to the light? Yeah, Maybe. needs On to. February 3rd, 1969, still talking about Alan Klein, Apple was literally bleeding money. Now, John, George, and Ringo, Beatles, mm-hmm. wanted Alan Klein. And Paul McCartney wanted Linda, pardon me, Lee Eastman, which is Linda Eastman's father. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lennon fought real hard for Klein because... And this is probably why other people use them. Klein took Sam Cooke's contract to court and got him a ton of back royalties. Right. So Lennon and Yoko absolutely loved that for once they could mess over the record companies. Oh, yeah. It doesn't last. Less than four years later, the Beatles fire him. Lawsuits flew and Apple Corps agreed to pay the guy $4.2 million to go away. How much? $4.2 million. Oh. Go away. Which I have to believe in the realm of the Beatles is, here's $500. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. However, here's the problem. He, Klein, still had agreements with George Harrison. Mm-mm. Klein was in charge of Harris songs, meaning every song written by George Harrison, 1968 and forward. Uh-uh. Furthermore... Klein was in charge of Abco Records, which owned Harris songs as part of a tax invasion it was found out by the U.S. government. It was Klein that brought the suit against George Harrison for plagiarizing My Sweet Lord. No! Okay? That, you know the song, He's So yes. Fine. Right. Supposedly, that's the song you took so My playing, Sweet Lord for. He's on both sides. Right. He's on the good side and the bad side and getting money on both sides. But why would he do this? Yeah, some, why would he? Some people say it's retaliation for the Beatles dropping him as a manager. Mm. But I think it was just the fact that if he did it, he could double dip. He yeah, owned, he's double dipping. He owned Harris songs and it was in charge with Abco. Oh, my God. So he could not only have He's So Fine... He could also have My Sweet Lord. He's the devil. Well, he, Alan Klein, so poorly ran Abco, and there's a lot more to it than this, but he so poorly ran Abco that George Harrison simply bought Abco. Good for him. He was able to do it. So is that the end of it? No, you have to look at it, but the litigation would continue almost through Harrison's death in 2001. You need to do an entire show on this dude. It, it, I, I, what I did is I had to go through the pages yeah. and just pick out facts, or I would have been talking about this forever. Well, we're going to, right? Fair enough. We'll do it. Here you go. You know, you can play the Beatles if you wanted, but yeah, let's do the Rolling Stones. Here you go. Tumbling Dice on Rock School.
right, coming into the bottom of the hour, my name is Joe Burns. You are... Amy Burns. Tommy James, as in Tommy James and the Shondells, Mm -hmm. got mixed up with Morris Levy. Now, if you don't know the name Morris Levy, start to read about Alan Freed, the guy who supposedly made up the term rock and roll. Right. He didn't. He certainly popularized it, but he didn't make it up. He, this guy Morris Levy, and Alan Freed attempted to copyright the term rock and roll to the point where they made Chuck Berry Mm -hmm. give up all writing credits on Maybelline Ah! and give them to Alan Freed. Come on now. If you you are a 45 record collector, Mm -hmm. the holy grail of Chuck Berry is the 45 of Maybelline, but underneath the title where it has the author's name in parentheses, it has to say Alan Freed. Oh, come on. Oh, it exists. It really does. Do you have one? I do not. I have a Maybelline, but it has yet another name underneath it, and I'm not sure. I would have. I can't talk about it and know I'm correct. Levy was sued for $200 million by Roulette Records and the authors of Why Do Fools Fall in Love for $4 million. Tommy James also brought suit against him. Here's the problem. Morris Levy was connected down Cosa Nostra Way. He was part of the mob. No. Levy threatened bodily harm against them all. Oh, my. Some dropped, some did not. You want to read a real interesting story, read about that guy, Morris Levy, L-E-V-E-Y. But first, uh, let's do seven days in 70 seconds, May 17th all the way through May 23rd. Monday is Tammy's. You go. May 17th, 2017. Chris Cornell is found dead after a sound garden concert of an apparent suicide in Detroit. May 18th, 1978. The Buddy Holly story starring Gary Busey as Holly is released in the U.S. May 19th, 2009, Glee performed Don't Stop Believing. And you know what? Yeah. The fans, they buy and download it as much as possible. It becomes number one digital download of all time. May 20th, 1954, Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock is released and fails miserably. How is that possible, Joe? Well, about a year later, it becomes a hit when it's used as the open to the movie The Blackboard Jungle. May 21st, 1992, Bette Midler is Johnny Carson's last guest, and she sings One for My Baby and One One More for the Road. Now, The Tonight Show didn't end that night. They'll end the next night that there's no guests. Oh, that's kind of sad, that's it. isn't it? May 22nd, 19, or tw- pardon me, pardon me, 2017. Once again, May 22nd, 2017, after an Ariana Grande concert in Manchester, England, a suicide bomber detonates and kills 22 people, injuring many others. And on May 23rd, 1979, after MCA threatens legal action for shopping his contract around, Tom Petty files for bankruptcy. It forces MCA to negotiate. And by the way, it's going to come up in this show. Oh, it is? All right, we got to play something. John Fogarty had a real problem with a guy named Saul Zantz. Z-A-E-N-T-Z. In fact, Fogarty even released a song called Zantz Can't Dance. (laughs) He was the person who was in charge of Fantasy Records, who owned all of CCR. Mm. So what Fogarty did to get free basically gave all of the CCR music 
Zance. Yep, yep. Instead of him being happy over that, mm-hmm. Zance sues Fogarty. There's a song called The Old Man Down the Road. Yeah. He, Zance, said it was equal to the chorus of Run Through the Jungle, mm-hmm. so, which is a CCR song. Right. Which he believes he should own. Uh. So he should now own both songs. It goes to court. Fogarty stands on the stand with his guitar and explains to the uh, to the jury. Right. Yes, they're both in the same key. There's a lot of songs. There's only 12 keys. That's There's right. There's a lot of songs in the same key. He plays them both and is found completely innocent and still owns, to this day, The Old Man Down the Road. And sings it a lot. And Zance can't dance. Uh, there you go. Here's Fogarty on Rock School. Coming into the second break, as we talk about uh, the managers and such that really messed over these artists, Tutti Frutti, Game Changer, Little Richard, of course, got a horrible deal for it. He took the song to Art Rupe's Specialty Records, and he, Rupe, bought it and the publishing rights for $50. Oh, my God. He gave him a horrendous deal, a half a cent royalty rate per record. Now, there's a lot of people that believe that song, Tutti Frutti, mm-hmm. began rock and roll. Okay. I'm not one of them, but I'm telling you what, it was at the starting gate when gotcha. things got started. You had to sell two records to make a penny. Oh. Again, he got the money. This is what people always argue. Yeah, but who got the money from touring? Yeah, but if you've got a million selling record... Blah, blah, blah. Little Richard sued Specialty Records in Mm -hmm. 1984 for $112 million. No idea how much was given to him. They settled out of court. Okay? The one more I want to tell you about is Robert Johnson. Ooh. There's an old joke that I don't even know that it's a joke. I probably shouldn't have said that. But there's an old statement that all these old brilliant blues musicians got messed over by record companies and such because in order to record their songs, they were paid $50 in a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, they were. There's a movie Chadwick Boseman should have won the Oscar for. It's called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm -hmm. So this unbelievable performer shows up, Ma Rainey. Yes. And she was simply given, I think, $100 and a couple of Cokes. Yes, she was. Right, and and away she went. Right. Because at that point in time, the thought process was, we'll pay you for the song, you go tour on it, Yeah. we'll take the royalties from the song, and you get rich off the touring. Okay. He, Robert Johnson, records November 23rd, 26th, 27th, 1936 in San Antonio, Texas. Also... In Dallas, he recorded June 19th, 1937. The first one was by Vocalion. The second one was by Warner Brothers. There's rumors that he received $10 per song, Mm -hmm. but there's no definitive proof. But let's say he does. So of his, what is that, 29, 39 songs? I think it's 39. We're looking for the famous 40th song by Robert Johnson. I could have that number wrong. Right. But let's say that's the truth. 
What did he make? A little under $400? That's not quite right. He also had, at that time, a hit. I know when you think about Robert Johnson, oh, he's got more than that. Let's go back to the 1930s. He really only had one big hit, and I'll bet you've never heard it. It's called Terraplane Blues. 62 years after his death, the musician's estate has finally been probated in Mississippi. The courts recognize Claude Johnson as the sole legal heir of Robert Johnson. And he, Claude, received all the royalties from Johnson's box set. The amount is unknown, but a lot of people say it would easily be half a million dollars. Oh, Who's listening to us on the Rock School Radio Show? That would be W-O-U-B, Athens, Ohio. Spectacular. Back in a minute to talk about more bad management here on Rock School. Coming out of the break, Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper. Right. Now, I'm not talking about girls just want to have fun. Mm-hmm. That's when she succeeded. That's when the money came in. In 1983, years previous to Girls Just Want to Have Fun, Cindy Lauper was in a band called Blue Angel. They had a small scene following them in New York City and had had a top 40 song in the Netherlands. You know, I'm big in the Netherlands. Yeah, you are. You know, Uh huh. not much else. They released one self-titled album and but for that single, it was a flop. The band argued that the manager was taking too much money and they fired him. Good. He sued them for breach of contract Uh and was owed $80,000, which a large majority of it showed up on the ledger of Cyndi Lauper. So she, to make ends meet, was still singing in the clubs at night. However, she worked in a pancake house during the day to make ends meet. Yeah. To hold this manager at bay, she filed bankruptcy as well. And then comes the contract and girls just want to have fun and she's out of bankruptcy and everybody's paid. But isn't that hideous to do to somebody? Yes, it is. That's I, And even today it's worse. I still ask the question, can you indeed make a living? In the music industry, I, I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, hilltop houses driving 15 cars. I want to I want to have a wife. I want to have a couple kids. I want to own a house. I want to send them to college. Right, right. You know Just what I mean? Normal stuff that I don't know. Cindy Lauper here on Rockstar. <laughs> Ask me off air. How in the world does this keep happening? Look, I'll I'll, I'll tell you what I think it is, and tell this me. is only me thinking. Yeah, you know? do it, do it. Musicians are musicians; they're not lawyers. 
They're not businessmen They're either. They're not businessmen.、Period. Their idea is to be creative and go on. Now you say, well, couldn't they have hired a lawyer? I don't know, maybe. But still, a lawyer is how much per hour? A lot. $150, $200 an hour to look this thing over. And then he's got to write up a report、I、and all that kind of stuff. I just don't、you know? understand why all of these managers have taken such advantage. Oh, I of- know. Musicians. It, it's, it's awful. It's the reason that rock stars have sex with lingerie models because they can. Okay. Yeah. Why do they take advantage of these musicians? Because they can. It's、yeah. awful. And it's not just the, the managers, it's also fathers, the Beach Boys. This guy, Murray Wilson, who、uh-huh. was the father of the Wilson brothers, was. Terribly abusive. He was a quack psychotherapist and took 20% of all copyright to all of Brian Wilson's songs. Now, that's enough, okay? They fired him during the recording of Fun, Fun, Fun because of abuse. However, he still owned the publishing rights to everything that was written by his kid. He made millions owed dollars. A lot of people say it's the reason Brian Wilson. Had this complete nervous breakdown. Right. Then to put a period on the whole thing,、mm-hmm. he sold all of the band's managers to Irving Alamo Music for $700,000 without their consent. The catalog at the time was worth $30 million. Goodness. Dollars. Goodness. Badfinger. Uh huh. Messed over so badly that two members, Pete Ham and Tom Evans, take their lives. Yep, I knew that. The manager, Stan Pauly, April 1970,、uh, was scouting U.S. prospects. He meets Stan Pauly, and by the end of the year, the band signed a business management contract, and Pauly started Badfinger Enterprises.、Mm-hmm. The deal was so bad. He took the money from touring, recording, publishing, songwriting, and then put it in a holding company that was owned by Pauly. When the music went south, he went back to the band and asked them for their fees back、mm. so it could be done. Jeez. Pete Ham takes his life. Tom Evans does it back in 1983. And the one we're going to play, the one、mm. that'll end the show. Okay. Jackson 5, Barry Gordy. The Jackson 5 were easily the top performers for Motown. But the deal that their dad, Joe Jackson, signed only gave them 2.8% from all sales. Gordy was easily taking the bulk of the money. Now, you could say, well, of course he was. He took the risk, he did the promotion, he did the what have you. Right, right, right. It's just that it was only 2.8%. But it was the Jackson, so it was still a substantial amount of money,、mm-hmm. but not enough. In 75, epic. Offered them 20%, so 2.8% of their sales. They offered them 20% of their sales. However, Gordy wouldn't give up the name the Jackson 5. Right. So when you listen to hits like Enjoy Yourself, Blame It on the Boogie, Shake Your Body Down to the Ground,、mm-hmm. it's not by the Jackson 5. It's by the Jacksons. That's right. And Barry Gordy, to this day, Keeps pulling money off the Jackson. Oh! How about that? So, we're going to come back next week. I have just as many stories, just as heartbreaking. Oh, my gosh.、And、I can't take it. Yeah, you can. It's interesting music stuff, and you got to know about it. So, I'm Joe Burns. Tammy Burns. That'll do it. Class is dismissed.